0: Well, hey, I am so glad to be here this morning. Today is week two of our Advent series. What we'll do over the next four weeks, now that we are officially in the season of Advent, is we will hit each of the different themes of Advent over the next four weeks, which means today we will talk about hope because hope is the first theme of Advent. Our series that we're in is called The Invitations of Christmas. And uh, this is based a bit on uh, my Advent book that I just wrote. And actually, today's sermon, and I I didn't even necessarily plan this, but today's sermon lines up exactly with the reading for this morning. So if you have read this morning's devotional yet, uh, then you already have a glimpse into the sermon. And uh, if you don't have a copy of the book, we have some copies uh, up in the front. I have a few. I would love to gift you with one of those. So please come and see me after the service, and we can get a copy into your hands. Now, here's what I want to talk about when we talk about hope. Three things. I want to talk about how to have more hope in your life. Who's there this morning? All right. I also want to talk about how to have more hope for what it is that you are going through. Uh, Who needs a bit more hope for what you're going through in life right now? And then I want to talk about how to have more hope for who you are. So three different ways in which we will talk about hope this morning. And in order to talk about hope, you know what we need to talk about? Everyone's favorite topic, genealogies. Because that makes sense, right? Hope, genealogies, or family trees. Some of you, I see you convulsing a little bit. But this is how Matthew begins the story of Jesus. Hope being birthed into the world. The hope who is bringing light to our darkness. Matthew begins the story of Jesus with a family tree. Here's how Matthew begins his gospel. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is a very compelling way to begin the story of Jesus, right? (laughs) <laughs> you read this, you're like, yeah, Matthew's cooking right there. I mean, normally they say the first line of any novel is extremely important. This is how Matthew starts his story. <laughs> Are you going to keep flipping? <laughs> Some of you have already closed the book. Okay, what is this next writer? What, is, uh, what does Mark have for us? I'm not too keen on what this Matthew character has to say. But there is so much wisdom here in this sentence and in the entire genealogy which Matthew takes up quite a bit of space walking us through. Now, if you know uh, much about genealogies, uh, genealogies, they tell a story. Yes, they may look like just names, people, people in the long distant past, but genealogies are very, very important because they tell a story. They show where you came from. If you think about your genealogy or your family tree, if you were to trace back your ancestors, you can discover exactly why you are in this place today. Oh, yeah, well, my great-grandmother moved across the water here to America, and because she did that, and then she met my grandfather, and then they had my parents, and then we moved over here. Well, genealogy show you why you are here today. They also show you the people that have shaped you like it or not. You are shaped by your parents and their parents and their parents, their parents before them. You have been shaped in good ways and in bad ways by the people who have come before you. And genealogies also will tell you all about the events and the experiences that have shaped your family. The big events in your family's past, well, they shaped who your parents were. They shaped who your grandparents were. And those experiences that they had, they actually have shaped who you are as a person this morning. If you have ever gone to a counselor... Normally, the first week, they will give you some homework. Adrian talked about me giving some homework uh, in sermons. I don't give that much homework. (laughs) But if you go see a counselor, often they'll say, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you fill out a genogram? And then come back next week, and we will talk about it together. Because counselors know that you are not an isolated event. You are not an isolated person. You exist in relationship with the people around you, but also with the people in your past. And so in order to get an understanding of who you are and why you're behaving in particular ways, why there are certain habits that show up in your life, the counselor wants to get an understanding of, well, what were some of the past patterns of behavior in your family? What were some of the the past trauma That your family has experienced because trauma is passed down Like it or not if there is trauma in your past three four generations ago It has found its way into your life So the more understanding you have about your past The more understanding that you can have about who you are as a person and how you can heal And then how you can move forward in a healthier way Sure, we may have some of this back here and that shaped me but let's not Let that be the end of the story. Let's own it, acknowledge it, let's heal from it, and let's now pass forward a blessing or a healthier way of being to our children and to the generations that will come after us. The more understanding that you have about what has shaped you, the more you are now able to deal with what it is that you are carrying around with you. Awareness is painful. Yeah? It is, for sure. But awareness is the first step in change, in changing how you are relating to others and how you show up in the world and what you will pass on to other people. You didn't just appear on the map. (laughs) Oftentimes we think, well, hey, I just... Dropped in here. No, 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 no. There's all sorts of different influences that have been going on for a really, 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 really long time. You didn't just poof, appear right here. You have a whole backstory. And most of the time, you're not even aware of what that backstory is until you do a little bit of digging. Until you ask your parent, hey, can you tell me a little bit about how your mom? Was or, or maybe when I was growing up, my grandmother would tell me stories about her mother. And then you hear some of these stories. You hear about the big events in their life. And, oh, that explains why my mom was this way. That explains why my dad is like this. That explains why I show up like this in the world. You didn't just appear. You have a backstory that goes back generation after generation. And so genealogies, genograms, they tell a story. When Matthew begins his story about Jesus, how does he begin this story? With a story. (laughs) Let me show you how we got to where we are today. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, the hope of the world, the Savior of the world. I'm going to tell you all about him and what God is doing through the life of Jesus. But before we get to his story, I have to show you how we got to this moment in history. Before I can talk about who Jesus is, I have to talk about the people that have shaped his story. The same is true for you. If you want to understand your story, you need to know about the stories that came before you. We have to go back, for Matthew, he's saying we have to go back to the beginning. And here it is, Matthew 1, 1 again, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, right in the beginning. Who does he choose to mention? David, which if you know anything about the history of Israel, David is one of those characters that he has a quite an influential role to play in the story of Israel. And then he doesn't stop. Matthew doesn't stop at David. He goes all the way back to who? Abraham who is the very beginning. I mean, we could go back further, yes, but Abraham is the beginning of the story of Israel. Obviously, Abraham has stories and ancestors that shaped him, yes, but Israel becoming an well, Abraham is kind of the beginning that we find in the book of Genesis. So Matthew says, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, but we actually need to look back in our past first. Two things this tells me, number one, This story of Jesus, well, it has been in the making a really long time. Because he's going back to Abraham, he's saying, hey, this has been in the making. This story about Jesus, it didn't just happen. It wasn't an afterthought where God was like, hmm, okay, how am I going to bring salvation, hope, and peace to the world? Let me think about this. No, no, this is a story that has been in the making for hundreds, thousands of years. And the second point, nothing as we'll see here this morning, nothing can derail where this story has been heading. This story has been moving in a particular direction for a really, really long time. No matter what appears to get in the way, no matter what obstructions show up in the story, absolutely nothing can derail the work that God is doing in the world. Now, let me show you four different ways that this appears in this inspiring genealogy (laughs) this uh, motivating you'll never read genealogies the same way again first within the genealogy we have these four lines whose mother was Tamar whose mother was Rahab whose mother was Ruth whose mother had been Uriah's wife probably read that you're like okay yeah that stuff like yeah normal typical stuff for a genealogy no not in the first century. Not in the first century. Women were not included in first century genealogies. Matthew, he's tracing the male line, and yet throughout this genealogy, throughout this story he's telling, he makes sure that he's actually including particular women at certain places within the genealogy. If you are listening to this in the first century, you're like, well, well, why is he including the women? For us, regressive. Regressive. First century quite progressive including women in the story is earth-shattering you're listening you're like wait wait that's that's not how you tell a story and then here's another note about these women that he mentions Uh, these are not women that you would want to include these are not the highlights of the women if you know anything about these women and their stories and who they were and how they acted they have made some questionable choices. Just Google any of those women. Uh, Look up the story of Tamar, Genesis 22. Read it this morning or this afternoon, and you will be quite shocked at what you find there. These are women who have made some questionable decisions, and also uh, they are not of pure Jewish heritage. If you are trying to tell the story of Jesus, the Savior of the Jewish people, And now you're including Canaanite women? Well, first off, you're including women, but now Canaanite. Well, wait, no, no, no. The Canaanites, these people aren't part of God's plan. How did they find their way into the story of Jesus? But yet Matthew includes them anyway. Here they are, and they have an integral role to play in the story. Matthew is saying, without these women, Jesus wouldn't be here. They had a massive, major role to play in the story. Think about your life for a moment, maybe where you are today, where you have been in the past. Have you ever felt yourself to be insignificant? Have you ever felt devalued? Have you ever felt like you were disqualified from something being a certain way, being included in a certain group. The genealogy that Matthew tells here, right in the beginning of the story of Jesus, it loudly, boldly proclaims, your life matters. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself reading this, whenever in time, whether 2,000 years ago, We're sitting here in comfortable movie theater chairs reading this, 2023. Matthew is saying, Hey, reader, your life matters. And you are valued. You hold tremendous value and potential. And then Matthew says, You have an integral role to play in birthing hope, peace, love, and joy. Into our world. You read the stories of these women, well, they were viewed as insignificant or scandalous, or they were disqualified from participating in what God was up to in the world. But then Matthew takes their story and he says, No, I'm writing a new story than the story that you've heard about them. They play a significant role, which means you play a significant role in birthing peace, hope, love, and joy in the world. Now maybe you hear that and you're thinking, but, but, but wait, hold on, you don't know about me. You don't know about my story. You don't know about where I've been. You don't know about what I've done. Or maybe you ask yourself, well, a- am I even making a difference? I wake up in the morning, I go to work, I go home, at the end of the night, you lay there in bed wondering, well, how how could I, me, little old me, how could I possibly play any kind of pivotal role in bringing peace, hope, love into the world? But here's the, the, the truth. This is what these women did, and here's the truth for us. You be faithful to whatever is in front of you. How do you birth peace, hope, love, and joy into the world? You remain faithful to whatever is in front of you. You remain faithful to your story. If you're raising kids, man, sometimes it's like, do I do anything but raise kids? At the end of the night, I think back to what my day looked like, and it was brush teeth, go to the bathroom, try to force food down these kids. Well, if you're raising kids, I mean, that is such a huge role in showing young, impressionable children, how to be a person of peace, which is the challenge when you have young kids. How do you be a person of hope in the world? Yeah, you wonder, am I making a difference? Well, you remain faithful to what's in front of you. If you go to work and you sit there, you're at a cubicle, well, every single interaction that you have with a coworker is an opportunity for you to exhibit hope peace, love, and joy, and let's be honest, we don't get this right all the time. I don't get it right all the time, and that's fine. You don't have to get it right all the time, but you own the moments when you don't get it right. I mean, that's one of the things for my kids, for them to hear me say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You you know what? You're right. You were acting crazy. Things were out of control, but I'm sorry for how I spoke to you, and then they see that, and then it shows them, okay, yeah, we're all going to make mistakes. Actually, in the car the other day going to preschool, a kid goes to me out of nowhere. She's like, hey, daddy, everybody makes mistakes. Four-year-old. I'm like, wow, that's quite wise. <laughs> Where'd you hear that from? My teacher said that. Well, she's right. She's right. So you have a major significant role to play in birthing peace hope love and joy in the world and sometimes when you ask yourself am I even how could I possibly be making a difference all you need to do instead of looking at the big picture and not moving to some other part of the world in order to begin an organization you remain faithful to everything that is in front of you this day in this moment in this conversation in this interaction. No one, Matthew tells us, is insignificant or disqualified in the story of God at work in the world. Does anyone need to hear that this morning? No one's insignificant. No one is disqualified. You are all part of what God is up to in the world. Let's take it a step further. Let's look at the story of one of these women. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We've looked at this story before. I don't want to get into it. But notice this right here. Matthew's telling a genealogy, David was the father of Solomon. He could have stopped there, right? He could have just went on to the next person, whoever was next in line. But yet, he adds this qualifier. Solomon. Hey, you know Solomon. His mother was, he doesn't even mention her by name. Because this is a painful story. We all have those painful stories in our lives the stories that we look back on, or anytime anyone brings it up or we think about it, it's, it's a wound that we carry with us. I mean, this is such, such a shameful, embarrassing story. Matthew can't even write the name of Uriah's wife. He simply calls her Uriah's wife. But yet Matthew is including this story in the story of Jesus, which if you're telling the story about the Savior of the world, Wouldn't you want to include the best of? Isn't this a story that should be hidden? You're telling a story about Jesus, and yet Matthew specifically points out that this is one of those stories you want to sweep under the rug. We all have those stories, right? That if someone were to bring up what you did 15 years ago, you just bury your head. You're like, please, can we not talk? I, I thought that that had been buried. I thought that was gone. I never want to speak about this again, but yet here it is, Matthew is resurrecting this story that is one of the most shameful stories in Israel's past. I have a book that I wrote, I called my publishing company, 30 Foot Salmon Publishing. 30 Foot Salmon is the name of my high school band, and in the the daily reading from this morning, I actually tell a story, I'm going to tell you a little more of that story that I wrote about. Uh, So I had this high school band, and we were performing in our church's Christmas program. Everyone was there from the church. People were bringing friends, family. I was the lead singer of this band, and we had decided that we were going to play Joy to the World. So when Keaton plays Joy to the World, I kind of twitch a little bit here. (laughs) If I don't sing during that one, it's not you, Keaton. It's me. (laughs) we are going to play Joy to the World, and there was a ska rendition. We were a punk band, but there was a ska rendition of this song that I absolutely loved. One of my friends played trumpet. I thought it would be a great idea to bring my friend, who was a trumpet player, into band practice so that we could deliver this glorious rendition of this ska version of Joy to the World. In my mind, this was the most, like, people were going to be bowing at our feet, getting on. We were going to be signed to a record label after this. Well, we didn't practice at all until the afternoon of the event. I think it was like a 4 or 5 o'clock event. After church that Sunday morning, we go to our drummer's house where we had band practice. I bring my friend in. We start practicing. It, It didn't really go well. My friend, who's a trumpet player, he hadn't played trumpet in many, many years. I don't know why he signed up for this. So we finished practice. We're like, all right. As good as it's gonna get. It's fine. It's just gonna. It's gonna work out perfectly. We don't need to practice anymore. We're good to go. We get up there. The kids are doing their little Christmas songs. Everyone's oh, this is like the greatest thing. We get up there. We start. The song begins with a trumpet. The trumpet player, my friend, he begins. He cracks all of his notes in the beginning here. He can't hit a straight flat note. It just starts, and then we are so confused as to what's going on. All of a sudden, the guitar player starts playing totally out of sync with everyone else. Then the bass player comes in. Then the, it's, no one is on sync at all. I'm standing up there hearing this whole, just ruckus behind me. Everyone's staring at us. The lights are there on us. And I just stop everyone. I'm like, okay, okay, we're, that was our dress rehearsal. And as I say it in the book, I say, okay, I tell everyone. Now we're ready to rock your world. Now we are ready to get this party started. <laughs> we start over again. What do you think happens with that trumpet? Same. Ex- the notes are cracking. There, there's no steady note. The guitar comes in. The world. all of a sudden, I start singing. Totally, I don't even know what I was singing to. There's no melody. Nothing. We play the first verse. I don't even think we get to the chorus. We all stop, look at each other, put our instruments down, and walk out the side back door. (laughs) We have a youth room in this church with all these couches. We sit down on these couches and we lock the door. (laughs) We do not leave this room the rest of the night. (laughs) <laughs> one of our friends lightly knocks on the door with a plate full of cookies for us which I think sat untouched right there at the center of all these couches we just quietly exited the night <laughs> no one from the church has ever spoken about that night till <laughs> till <laughs> til now Yeah, we all have those painful stories. We all have those embarrassing stories. Some of them are even more shameful than that story. And we carry them around with us in the hopes that no one will resurrect those stories. Here we are in the genealogy of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Matthew resurrects one of the worst possible stories in the history of, Of Israel he owns it he says this even this story this shameful embarrassing story even this story can be redeemed even this story can be used to birth hope in the world it's true for your stories even your worst moments can be redeemed God's not holding those stories over you, saying you're you're disqualified because you have this in your past. But instead, what we see here in Matthew is God saying, that's forgiven. And even the worst moments that you have been involved in, even those can be used in what God is up to in the world. We keep going in the genealogy, we come to a character by the name, a king, by the name of Manasseh. And if you know anything about Manasseh, this is another person that should not be included in this genealogy. Here's what we read about Manasseh. Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. This is not a good person. This is not someone who is following God with his life. This is someone who is actually doing the exact opposite. Blood covered one end of of Jerusalem to the next. This is a man of violence. We hear more about his story. He sacrificed his children in the fire, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. This is an evil person. You read this and your heart breaks about what you're reading. God's heart, I'm sure, breaks when he witnessed the evil acts of this king. For us, we look at our world. And often the story that we just read about, it's a glimpse into the world that we live in today to a certain extent. We hear about war, hostages, violence being done to others. We hear about in other parts of the world. Sometimes we witness it through words, through actions here in our world. We read about evil, and your heart begins to sink a bit. You begin to lose hope. You begin to despair. You look around at the the state of the world, the sin that's in the world, and maybe you even look at the sin that's in your own life, the sin that you're carrying around with you, the brokenness that you have within you, And you you wonder, how, how could God ever be real? How could God actually even be at work in the world? How could there be a good God when all of this exists around me? I mean, these are questions that many of us are asking. Well, I guarantee you, these aren't questions that we're asking today. These aren't new questions. You read about what this king was doing, and I'm sure... If you're someone who is alive at the world at this time, you're wondering, wait, this is the king who's supposed to be the representation of God for the world? And yet, these are the things that he's involved in? I mean, have you ever felt your heart filled with despair over the state of the world? The state of the brokenness that you see around you? Well, here's how the story of Manasseh ends. When he, Manasseh, prayed to God, the Lord was moved, listened to his plea, and he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then he restored, Manasseh restored, the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. You know what this tells me? It tells me that violence isn't the end of the story. Yes, violence is real. We need to confront it, talk about it, Find different ways of being in the world? Yes, yes, all of that, of course. But violence is not how the story ends. Evil does not get the final word. We see Manasseh in this genealogy. It's a part of the story of Jesus, but it's in the middle, it's not at the end. Through Jesus, what we see at the end is we see a picture of where God is leading us in this entire creation. We see that violence, evil, sin, it's a part of our story. It's a part of the story of humanity. But God is moving us somewhere new. God is moving us forward into a place of peace and of wholeness and of love. And the brokenness is not the end. Now, we can resist where God is taking us. And many times we do resist. Manasseh, he resisted. He said, God, I don't want any part of that. I want to do things my own way. And in times in our lives, we resist that pull towards love and peace. Because sometimes revenge It feels a whole lot more filling than forgiveness. Revenge, holding on to bitterness, can feel a whole lot more satisfying than forgiveness and mercy. So we can resist or we can allow God to pull us forward into a place of love. But here's what we find in the story of Manasseh and in this genealogy is that no matter where the resistance is, God will work through it. And God will redeem and restore because the violence is not the end. And that's the hope that we are given in this genealogy. Yes, there is darkness around us. And it's not right. It's not what God desires. It's not how we are intended to live with each other. And yes, we need together collectively to find ways of moving forward beyond the violence, and that is the work that God is up to in the world, helping us move beyond that violence, beyond the need for revenge. And then we come to this part of the genealogy. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. You know what else is in the genealogy of Jesus? The exile. Sammy talked about the exile of Israel a couple of weeks ago. Exile was the darkest moment in the history of Israel. It was a time of confusion, a time of uncertainty, questioning if God is still with us. Even the darkest moments that we go through, even in those moments, God is still at work. The invitation is to trust that God is with you in your moments of exile. And that even in those moments of exile, when it appears as if God is silent, and it does, when it appears as if God is absent, and it will feel that way, even in those moments, the invitation is to trust that your story isn't finished. And this isn't the end. But God is silently, absently, still at work through all of it. So we have the time of exile, but then right in the next verse, there's a whole new set of names because it's after the time of exile. What this says is that your time of exile, it will end. It may last a while may be there for years for a long time it might feel as if you are walking around in the dark without a flashlight but yet your time of exile will end if I were to guess about a picture of your life because this is a picture of my life here's what I think your life would look like there would be feelings of inadequacy mixed with feelings of greatness there would be moments of shame that you carry with you there also would probably be some moments of triumph there would be moments of resistance when you pushed against the good that God desired for your life but then there probably would also be some moments when you're at your best self when you allow the work of God to flow through you there would be periods of exile of darkness But then there probably would also be some periods of celebration. What often happens is we look at our lives from one picture, from a snapshot. We look at one small section of our life. We look at what we're going through right now or what happened six years in the past. And this is what happens when we do that. This is what our life looks like. A whole bunch of scattered disconnected pictures of our lives but when you zoom out and when you look at your life as a whole here's what your life forms it's a beautiful picture here's that picture in different parts zoomed in when we look at the exile or when we look at those moments of celebration Our life begins to take one flavor. But that's not the entirety of your life because you have it all swirling around, mixed in there together. And your whole story, the good and the bad, God uses all of it. Sometimes we like to display just the good. And we think, well, well, God's only working through me when I'm being faithful. God's only working through me when I'm being my best self. But what we read about here in this genealogy is that God works through all of it. Even the parts of your life that you wish weren't true. God uses your entire story. Nothing in your story is wasted. So the invitation for us, because This sermon series is called The Invitations of Christmas. The invitation for us is this. To trust that God uses your whole story. And not just your story. Because remember, a genealogy has a whole bunch of different people. So it's all of our stories collectively. So the invitation is to trust that God uses your whole story and their whole story and her whole story, his whole story. Their story, every single person's story that you come in contact with, God uses all of it to move us all forward into greater peace and greater hope and greater love and greater joy. Nothing is wasted in God's work. So the hope for us, the hope that Matthew offers us right from the beginning of his story of Jesus is that nothing, no matter what you've heard or what you think, nothing can derail God's plan of salvation. Nothing can derail where it is that God is pulling us forward together. And the hope is to also trust that your life plays a role in what God is up to in the world.